0: just going to believe because tonight is the first night of Sukkot that there's going to be an open window of heaven over your life. And every promise that God made concerning Sukkot and your first fruit offering is going to manifest. Some of it right now, some of it over time. Uh, But nonetheless a manifestation of the promises of God. Father, we love you this morning and we gather together and honor you and acknowledge you. We say Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai God, uh, You are the Lord God. You are one. And we worship You and welcome You into our lives, our families, our church, these teachings. And we thank You, Lord, that You are leading and guiding us into Your perfect will. You're using this appointed time of Sukkot uh, to pour out upon us uh, uh, a blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it. The open window of heaven that rebukes every devourer, it defeats every enemy, and connects us to every blood-bought promise. We love You today, Lord, and we just thank You for Your covering over our lives, our family, our health, our finances, our church, our nation, over Israel and the nations of the world. We declare that Jesus is Lord. Amen this morning. Give the Lord a big praise. Before we uh, get into uh, our study today, just a paid Christian uh, announcement and promotion. This Wednesday night, uh, we'll continue our series on the American heritage, the Founding Fathers. We had a great time last Wednesday night, and uh, we're going to continue on with covering David Barton material. And uh, we appreciate you coming or joining us via Zoom. Amen. Amen. Well, happy Feast of Tabernacles that begins tonight. Uh, thank you for coming to the Torah study this morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Scott, and we, uh, my wife is teaching in Fit for Life today. So... Uh, uh, God bless her, and uh, we're both actually teaching on Sukkot. I said, well, honey, don't you want me to just to let me teach on it? No, no, I got my own word. I'm going to teach... Oh, go, you go, girl. <laughs> so, yeah, what uh, we're always trying to do uh, in Torah study is take Old Testament wisdom... And, uh, understand, try to understand how it relates to, uh, and connects to our New Testament revelation. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. He came to tell us how to live all the commandments, all the principles of God at the highest possible levels. Yeah, he brought new revelation, but he didn't disqualify all the Old Testament wisdom. Uh, So there needs to be uh, an attitude that there's a continuation from... Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers into Matthew Mark Luke and John a continuation not a termination and so that's what makes new beginnings unique what makes pastor and tiz unique and in today's Torah study we're we're in Torah portion number 53 in Deuteronomy 32 uh it's called Hazenu and uh today I want to uh get into this unique and powerful convergence between today's Torah study, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, uh, which as I mentioned begins tonight for the next seven days, and how these things connect with the church. And they do connect with the church. And I'm going to show you how it prophetically connects to Gentile Christians. So I want to begin in Deuteronomy 32... Uh, which uh, up until this point in Deuteronomy 32, Moses has been speaking to Israel about their history, about God's laws, about His divine principles, and how these things would make them a peculiar people in a holy nation. Amen. Yeah? Amen? Uh, within the uh, this build-up uh, to Deuteronomy 32, uh, Moses also rebukes Israel. Uh, For straying away, even in the wilderness, they had their moments. We all have our moments. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully we're maturing and those moments become less and less. (laughs) And the good moments become more and more. But uh, Moses is warning it, what's going to happen if you stray away? Uh, and you fail to keep God's guidelines. And so you remember last week we talked about the final two commandments. Commandment 612 and 613. 612 was to read the Torah portion or, or the Torah in its entirety as a nation. They did it every seven years. We probably need to do it more than every seven years. Every four years, the President of the United States would be wise to use their inaugural address to reaffirm that we are one nation under God. It pains me that politicians that we elect sometimes ignore these things. Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Independent. We better not ignore the things of God. Uh, and that's why we're doing the American Heritage Series, is to realize the original intent of the Founders. Amen? And uh, it's fascinating. Uh, the six hundred thirteenth commandment is: you yourself participate in writing your own Torah scroll. Take it personal. How many of you take this thing personal? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what Christianity is meant to be, where we take the things of God personal. It's not like what what don't I have to do? <laughs> Wrong question. Why do, why do people listen to preachers that tell them, don't worry about doing anything. No, you need to worry about doing some things if you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What's the key word there? You did something. When it's all said and done, there's usually more said than done. Don't be that guy. And so, if Israel no longer will be one nation under God, uh, it's uh, oops, right? That's a, that's a bad thing. And so, uh, Moses, once he shares this 613th commandment, participate in writing your own Torah scroll, he breaks into a song. And that's what Deuteronomy 32 is all about. The song of Moses. And uh, uh, we can't take time to get into that today, but you read it for yourself. It's beautifully written, and uh, it will bless you. But uh, what about this song? This song uh, is Jewish history in musical form. It's like a musical that God uh, uh, and Moses put Jewish history and their future to music. Uh, and obviously it exalts the Lord for all He's done. It warns Israel, as we've talked about. Uh, and uh, it it points us to this idea uh, that as long as you and I are following God's divine principles, we're going to win. Who likes to win? Who likes to lose? <laughs> Losing, no one likes to lose. Well, there's a pathway and a way to do that. And this is what we're talking about today. So I was reading, uh, one of my, uh, favorite rabbis, the late, great Jonathan Sachs. And he, he pointed out that there were ten songs at key moments in Israel's history. And I won't, uh, Uh, get into all of those right now but you can look on his website the spirituality of song and see all the 10 songs but the 10th song that he says has not been sung yet is the song of the messiah and when i when i read that uh i got to think now where have i seen the song of the messiah and it turns out that the song of the Messiah is in the Bible. It just happens to be in the New Testament, not in the Hebrew Bible, but in Revelation 15. And if you turn over to Revelation 15, I'll read some of this in Revelation 15 too. Uh, this is the song of the Messiah. Uh, and it begins to connect some of the dots of the Torah and Sukkot and what all of that has to do prophetically with Gentile Christians. And uh, John, the revelator, says in verse 2, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast. Over his image, over his mark, over the number of his name, they're standing on the, on a sea of glass with harps of God, and in verse three, they sing the song of Moses. The servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, the song of the Messiah. And then it goes on from there. For the sake of time, we won't read the rest of it, but if you would, just read it on your own. But did you catch what's going on in heaven? The saints of God, which are in uh, uh, numbered like the sands, the, the the kernels of the grains of sand on a, the seashore, uh, drops in the ocean, they're singing in heaven. And they're singing two songs. The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now, this happens not before the rapture, but after. This is, the rapture's happened. And there's Old Testament saints and New Testament saints that have come together in unison to make this grand choir in front of the throne of God singing the song of Moses and the song of the Messiah. So, the Messiah and Moses are both being honored in heaven. Chew on that, replacement theologist. (laughs) It's an eye opening experience for Christians to realize the Old Testament saints are in heaven and they're singing Moses' song. The song that we're just studying this week in Deuteronomy 32. And it's eye-opening as well because many in the church still believe that Moses, the Jews, and Israel have been rejected and replaced. And yet here in Revelation, we see, uh uh-uh, that ain't the case. Amen? And so this begins to connect the dots between the Torah, Deuteronomy 32, the Song of Moses and I'll get in just a minute how it connects to the Feast of Tabernacles, but uh, it, it, it encourages us that as Gentiles, we need to start looking at our Jewish brothers and sisters differently than the traditional church has ever thought. Why? Because after the rapture, when we all get to heaven, they're going to be in the number. <laughs> and they're going to be singing an Old Testament song. And a New Testament song. Amen? So uh, I'm studying all of this and I get Rabbi Joseph Shulam's uh, uh, weekly emails and uh, their Torah studies. And uh, he's a dear friend. He's a believer in Yeshua. He has a synagogue in Israel. uh, And... The teaching uh, that he sent out this week on Deuteronomy 32, Jose uh, he teaches, and I was just fascinated by this. Uh, that Deuteronomy 32 contains the basis for Paul's mission as the apostle to the Gentiles, and took, for me, man, this is this is fascinating stuff. And so he goes on to say, if you don't understand what God is laying out in Deuteronomy 32 as it relates to the Gentiles and how they are relating to the Jews, then you're missing what Paul was doing as the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he basically gave three points. I'm just summarizing what he uh, sent out. But uh, as we've learned, Deuteronomy 32 is the song of Moses, but it's a court case. I call all it begin, I call all of heaven and earth to witness this, and it's the heavenly court convening. and God is inviting heavens, the heavens and the earth to judge what's going on in Israel as it relates to their relationship with the Lord. And in this particular instance, uh God is the plaintiff. He's holding something against Israel for straying away. He said, look, I did everything for you guys. I was the miracle worker, the waymaker for you, for 40 years in the wilderness, and a lot of what I got was pushback, with murmuring and complaining and belly aching, that you weren't doing enough here, or there or everywhere. And then he is confronting Israel by turning to idols. Betraying the Almighty. Even though the Almighty was a gracious Father, keeping His promises that He swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the song. And Israel provoked God to jealousy when they turned to idols. I am a jealous God! And then, this is where... Brother Shulam really uh, uh, brought in this idea of Paul's mission is right here. And if you could, go to Deuteronomy 32.21. Because here God says, I'm going to use Gentiles to provoke Israel to return to Me. I'm a jealous God. And jealousy needs to be, a positive jealousy needs to be stirred up uh, in the hearts of the spiritual fathers so that they turn back to God and also so that they turn towards the Gentiles. Yeah? So Deuteronomy 32.21, this is from the New Living. I went through a bunch of translations, and this one may have said it the best. Uh, God is speaking, "...they have roused my jealousy by worshiping things that are not God. They have provoked my anger with their useless idols. Now I will rouse their jealousy through people who are not even a people." I will provoke their anger through the foolish Gentiles. Wow. And so out of this is where, according to Brother Shulam, uh, this is where uh, Paul gets his foundation and the revelation for what he shares in Romans 9, Romans 10, and Romans 11. And, uh, you know, we could do a series on this. But let me just condense it down to Romans 11, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, I say then, have they, Israel, stumbled that they should fall? In other words, is God done with Israel? And Paul's answer is, certainly not! That's pretty emphatic. Is God done with Israel? Certainly not! But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And so he goes on and says, if their fall is riches for the world, if their fall means salvation, which is the ultimate riches, right? Right? Eternal life is the ultimate goal. If their fall means eternal life has come to the Gentiles, salvation has come to the Gentiles, and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness, how much more is this thing going to explode in our favor when Jew and Gentile come together with the revelation of what we call in Ephesians, the one new man. Isn't that amazing? So, why are y'all studying all that Jewish stuff because of what we're talking about? Well, that's just too complicated. All I want is John 3.16. Well, there's John 3.16 churches out there, and God bless them, and God will use them. But he's using this church to mend a 2,000-year-old breach between Jews and Christians. And in order to do that, we kind of have to understand more than baby stuff. I just don't need milky. My little two-year-old grandson loves milky. He loves his baba. But you and I, as maturing believers in the Lord God Almighty, we need to go beyond milk sometimes. It's fine to have milk. But we need to understand more than just uh, the baby stuff of the Bible. And if that's all you want, no condemnation, you know, do your thing. But maybe that's why God brought you here. Is because there's revelation and truth and knowledge and wisdom and counsel that God wants to birth in you because He wants to use you uh, just like Paul was being used as someone who can go to the Gentile world and explain some of this stuff. Well, why would that matter? Because once people under, if you thought you had it good without this stuff, Imagine how much more goodness and blessing will occur when you do have it. It's the difference between a kindergarten education and having a master's degree. Kind of a difference there. You would expect the person with the master's degree to be able to accomplish quite a bit. More than if all you had was a uh, a first grade education. So, uh, Paul, Paul says, uh, or he's explaining prophetically what the Gentile role is in all of this. You're not, you're not your own religion. You've been grafted in. You're Judeo-Christians, the wild olive branch that's been grafted in to the root. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Elijah, and all the Old Testament saints. Then, the Lord prophesies the final outcome as Moses is singing this song in Deuteronomy 32. In in verse 43, this is from the Amplified. It says, and this is a prophecy. This hasn't happened yet. This is going to happen. Rejoice, O nations, with His people. With Israel. For He will avenge the blood of His servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries, and will atone for his land and his people. So this scripture is pointing us uh, to events that happened during the Great Tribulation. The, The Great Tribulation isn't the devil and the Antichrist accomplishing their will. They think they're setting up a one world government, one world economic. and But it, technically what's happening is God, who owns it all, is enacting a great jubilee. And what the devil had... Under his control, and we've been battling back and forth through the millenniums, uh, wrestling with powers and principalities. At the end of the day, at the end of the age, it's God saying, <laughs> it's a Jubilee. This all reverts back to me. And they're the enemy struggling to give it up. Just like there's sometimes a struggle in your own life to uh, access and activate certain blessings of God. Because there's an adversary who's resisting. Who's blocking the blessing. How come I can't get a breakthrough here, there, or wherever? Because even though every promise of the Bible is yes and amen to you that believe, there's still a lion going about seeking whom he may devour. And once you realize we battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, all of a sudden you're rebuking the right things. And your spiritual warfare is aimed at the right spots. And in this case, where uh, God uh, renders this final judgment just before we go into the thousand year reign of Christ, the Sabbath millennium this is at the battle of armageddon when what we see in deuteronomy 3243 happens the battle of armageddon just part of the second coming uh, this is represents the day of atonement I will atone for His land and His people. A reference to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And it relates exactly to what we just read in Revelation 15 with the Old Testament and New Testament saints rejoicing together, singing the redemptive song of Moses and the redemptive song of the Messiah. Jews and Christians singing together in heaven that's our future. That's our destiny. And that's a big part of our mission. So, so the Jews always ask, Pastor, are you trying to convert us? And he answers what Paul says. No, I'm, my mission is to the Gentiles. I'm the apostle to the church. I'm trying to turn the church away from replacement theology and traditional doctrines that drive a wedge between Christians and Jews. And I'm trying to fulfill this type of prophetic word, this type of prophetic work to tear down walls of division so that the Messiah can come. Not a bad mission. And you're here because you're part of the mission, right? So... God will bring Israel back to the land. They're going to be redeemed and never removed again. Whatever exile and rejection happened to Israel isn't final. If God said to you and I, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If, If God said to New Testament believers that nothing can separate you from the love of God, then what's true for you is true for Israel. So why do we think they've been abolished? Yeah? So, one of the great prophecies uh, that's just now being fulfilled, and others uh, are participating in this, including Joseph Shulam, who who we uh, mentioned. But many ministries. I'm just very happy that I'm in a ministry that's a part of that. In fact, I got a text from Israel early this morning from Josh Reinstein, uh, the founder and director of the Israel Allies Foundation and the Israel Allies Knesset Caucus. And uh, he, he said, check this out. Pastor Larry is the number one, is being recognized starting today as the number one Christian leader in the world that supports Israel. Praise be to God. That's pretty special. But in Zechariah 8, verses 22 and 23, here's a prophecy that kind of sums this up. There's many, but this says many peoples... And powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord of Heaven's army and to ask for His blessing. In other words, uh, nations, Gentile nations, eyes will—the Christians' nations—eyes will be open and will realize we need to respect and honor Jerusalem and uh, what Jerusalem stands for, and go there for the blessing. Verse 23, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies will say. In those days, what days? The last days. Ten men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew. And they will say, please let us walk with you. For we have heard that God is with you. That's an end time prophecy. And it's a vivid picture and a vivid reminder that God still has a prophetic end-time plan for Israel and the Jewish people. Meaning that in the last days, people are going to return to people that have a unique understanding of the Jewish roots of our faith and how Judeo-Christianity is meant to function and grab the hem of that Jew. And say, teach us everything you know so that we can live at a higher level. We'll elevate ourselves to a higher level. Christianity doesn't teach this in our eschatology about the Jewish component. But it's all a key part of what we're learning out of Deuteronomy 32. We just read Romans 11. Now we're reading Zechariah 8. And it's all describing this Uh, uh, what goes on with what does provoking to jealousy mean? Yeah? So the final part of this Gentile connection to Israel is Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. It starts tonight. And out of all the feasts of the Lord, this particular feast is the only celebration that God-fearing Gentiles were invited to attend. That's why, uh, beginning tonight in Israel, there'll be thousands of Christians will descend into Jerusalem to celebrate this. And a lot of them don't necessarily know why. We've been there. We've marched in the, the big parade that the, uh, 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 the embassy, the Christian embassy in Jerusalem sponsors. We've been to the, uh, uh, the celebration in the big arena. Uh, but not everybody understands all of it. We, we all see through a glass darkly. But we're doing our best to understand how these puzzle pieces fit together. But during in biblical times... There were 70 bulls sacrificed throughout the week of the Feast of Tabernacles. And these 70 bulls represented salvation being released on the 70 Gentile nations. Now if you go back to Genesis 10, you'll see the 70 Gentile nations. The descendants of Noah. A righteous Gentile. And all of his 70 descendants are listed. And this is rabbinically where this concept of 70 nations comes from. But it shows us, these sacrifices, that God was always wanting to bring Gentiles together with the Jews. And this is, this is what's so mind-blowing to me. Is that the only celebration specifically mentioned in the Bible after the second coming and into the Sabbath millennium, the thousand-year reign of the Messiah, is another prophecy out of Zechariah. In Zechariah 14. Turn over there if, if you have your Bible. And this helps to connect some dots between the Song of Moses and Deuteronomy 32, uh, this uh, Feast of Tabernacles, and what all of this has to do with the, how God wants to use the Gentiles to help bring Jews and Christians together. And in Zechariah 14:16 it says and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the gentile nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king the lord of hosts and to keep the what feast of tabernacles, feast of tabernacles. this is after armageddon all the nation do you know armageddon is fought over who owns israel is it the West Bank? Does it belong to a separate group of people? Or does it belong to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yeah. And then there's a big war fought over all of that. Yeah. Those that are left, Zachariah says, in, in the future, they're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. But in verse 17 it says, "...it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain." Yeah. So we're talking about Feast of Tabernacles. We're talking about Gentile nations in the millennium, after the rapture, after the second coming, after Armageddon, after the tribulation, after the devil is bound for a thousand years and thrown into the lake of fire, after the Messiah sets up His rule and reign in Jerusalem, after you and I have received our glorified bodies, after you and I have divine assignments on uh, uh, running and governing aspects of planet earth I thought I just got a harp on a cloud no you're coming back as the army of God with work to do but to those that say "eh, ain't interested no rain, no blessing no life, no growth yeah? then you would think after a thousand years of this that people would kind of get it hello McFly, do you get it? Even after a thousand years, when the devil is released, he goes around to deceive the nations, the book of Revelation says, and many nations uh, at that time uh, side with the devil and try one last battle. Some say it's the battle of Gog and Magog. Others, they say it's different battles. But whatever, it's another type of Armageddon. And from that point on, after that, they're defeated in a twinkling of an eye, they're defeated. Then there's, we go into that period of the new heaven and new earth. So Sukkot is celebrating prophetically Jews and Gentiles coming together. And all nations are going to be required to keep the holiday by coming up to Jerusalem. Ever heard of every knee will bow, every tongue confess? (laughs) That's what's happening in this prophecy. You will bow and confess that the Messiah is the Messiah. He's uh, Yeshua HaMashiach. So, what does this tell you? Gentile? It, you might you you're going to do it. Might as well get started now. Why look for an opt out? Why look? Why, why be the one that's looking for a reason not to do something God says I'm doing? I don't know how that all plays on your personal resume when you go through the pearly gates. Uh, Scott, can you explain this here? You were out preaching against the Feast of Tabernacles and against Judeo-Christian things, and all the while that was my embedded plan? That was my master plan of salvation and redemption? Is to bring Jew and Gentile. And you were working against that? What kind of fool am I? Oh, you foolish Gentiles, it says. Yeah. So it'd be wise for Christians, and you're wise because you're here. Right? Unless you're sitting here just to argue in your mind every week with the pastor. Some people, I guess, they've got nothing better to do than to come to a church they don't want to come to and sit in the pew and keep arguing with the pastor on every point. If you've ever resembled that remark, stop it! it'd be wise for everyone to begin to migrate back to the origins of our faith. The original plan was Gentiles coming in to the framework and structure. Remember, we talked about that last week, uh, uh, that God ordained in Israel. That doesn't mean we have to grow curly cues and we don't have to wear a kippa and we, you know, uh, we don't have to become Jewish, but at the very least, we need to respect that. We need to honor that and realize that's part of our Ancestry.com. And it's not a bad thing. When did God give anything that you would consider, that's horrible. God, that's horrible that you set this commandment or that guideline or that standard into practice. How dare you, God? Yeah. Yeah. We need to get beyond that, right? And so, look, we don't have time today, but if you read Isaiah 2, uh, Isaiah 2, let me just uh, read a part of it. Uh, people, verse 3, People uh, from many nations will come in the last days and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. Jehovah. Yahweh. Jacob's God, the Old Testament God of Jacob. There He will teach us His ways and we will walk in His paths. Meaning that up until that time, maybe we weren't taught the right ways. And maybe we weren't walking in the right paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His Word will go out from Jerusalem. End time prophecy a picture of future events. And it's a picture of Sukkot with Gentiles and Jews coming together. And part of what we're doing here, and many are doing, but you know, pastor's number one on the list, hallelujah, (laughs) is what we're doing is stimulating a relationship That's been fractured for a couple thousand years through, we're building a friendship, we're building a unity, we're building a trust and a peace. Are you trying to convert us and make us be like the people that go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in the, in the Christian quarter? Have you ever been there? Just Google Church of the Holy Sepulchre and click images and see the images that come up and ask yourself, does this represent my faith? All these idols and graven images and people kissing statues by the tens of thousands? Is this what our faith is? Is that what your faith is? Okay, well, maybe, maybe that, that's where that foolish... Gentile, uh, that's what Jeremiah 16.13 says. You've inherited foolish and unprofitable, worthless things. Doctrinally. And so we're trying to, in our church, kind of rethink some of it. Well, how did God originally intend for all of this to play out? And how do we get uh, that dark ages, hundreds and hundreds of years of dark ages in Christian history because we lost what we're talking about today. Now we're refinding it. We're rediscovering it. And it's a blessing. And it validates new beginnings. When you begin to understand this, that there is a Jewishness of the Gospel. Returning to the Jewish roots of our faith isn't a stupid thing, a foolish thing. That's God's master plan. Bringing Jew and Gentile together. And uh, it's also prompting us to fulfill Genesis 12:3, I'll bless those that bless Israel. So, yeah, there's just so much more we could get to. In conclusion, uh, in the last minute or so, there's a unique blessing prayed during Sukkot that includes this. Uh, sentence, the compassionate one, God, may he raise for us the fallen sukkah of David. The fallen sukkah. Sukkah is the temporary shelter. Sukkah uh, of David, the tabernacle of David, is where the Ark of the Covenant resided before it resided in the temple on Mount Moriah. It first resided in the city of David. And all it was was a tent over the Ark of the Covenant. And at that time, Jew and Gentile could worship together. There was no middle wall of separation like eventually happened in the temple. Everyone came together to worship the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings." And that's in the prayer. May, may you return us to this place where you've raised up this tabernacle, this fallen sukkah of David. This is Amos's prophecy in Amos 9 and it's exactly what Pastor James realized after the first coming of the Lord was happening when revival broke out with the Gentiles in Acts 15. At the great council, they, what are we going to do? He said, well, one One thing we got to do is recognize this is Amos' prophecy that God is rebuilding the tabernacle of David. Jew and Gentile together. Amos 9. Acts 15. And that's what you and I are doing. Not at the first coming. It happened at the first coming. But now, just before the second coming, we're helping to rebuild the tabernacle of David. No middle wall between Jew and Gentile. We all come together and worship the Lord and praise His mighty name and then signs and wonders and miracles like we've never seen. May that all happen beginning in your life this week during Sukkot. Amen. Amen. Do, you, do you receive that today? Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Give the Lord a praise. Thank you for coming.